0: it's the auburn observer podcast the sunday edition question mark the free edition and this is the last podcast we are doing in the year 2023 happy new year to all uh justin ferguson here in nashville uh, about to head out we're recording this on sunday morning joining me on this podcast no painter uh, on Mike, he is editing and producing and engineering and doing all the all the magic behind the scenes for this podcast. But Painter uh, Saturday night was part uh, was at a family wedding, um, had had some travel attached to that. So Painter not on Mike for this episode, but he will be back very shortly. So congrats uh, to the to the new couple, everybody in Painter's family. Uh, but uh, it's not just me, of course. It's Dan Pack of the Dan Pack Multimedia Empire, Dan. Back in Auburn, uh, it looks like. Yeah, I
1: I am home. It is it is good to be back uh, in Auburn. I I love to travel, but you know, it's it's at some point you hit Mm -hmm. that. You 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 would know better than better than most uh, with with the work you do, but yeah, Painter is not on the microphone today, but but his grubby little fingerprints are all over (laughs) all over this podcast. So
0: the fact that this thing is listenable right now is due to Painter. So if if you're listening to this thank painter because he, he he did a lot to it even though he's not actually talking and recording with us right now
1: and we'll still try to have like a nonsense uh, a nonsense segment at the end of the show sure uh, absolutely. you know in, in honor of of painter even if even if he's not here
0: well Dan um we got we got two games to talk about here uh, one of them will take probably the majority of this episode to talk about but there is a positive uh game to talk about from Saturday for Auburn fans as well we will talk about Auburn's 35 point just destruction of Chattanooga on the basketball court late Saturday night but of course uh, we have to wrap up 2023 and the 2023 football season for Auburn uh, by talking about their loss to Maryland in the Music City Bowl and I mean right off the bat this one felt like a lot of games that we've seen Auburn play this year. Um, I, I, I think this pro- this one probably most resembled the LSU game, uh, which I think is pretty disappointing for Auburn because Maryland, especially without Talia Tagovailoa, is not LSU on the offensive end, yet they get rolling off to an early start. Up 21 nothing in a hurry. Auburn responds on defense and we'll talk about that the the second third and fourth quarter Auburn's defense played very well um not just better they, they played very well however the mistakes that were made in the first quarter with some of the new pieces on defense some of the younger guys and just a general just lack of execution coupled with the fact that Auburn really never had much of a pulse on offense only one scoring drive all game from the Tigers uh with the first teamers and then, of course, they, they had one towards the end that and I'm sure we will get to. But, Dan, this game, I mean, it just it felt like several other games we've seen from Auburn this year. They finished with a losing record, third straight losing season. This hasn't been done since the 70s. First time ever Auburn's lost four straight bowl games. I mean, we are in, for the modern era, or at least inside the last 50 years, we are in the worst stretch of Auburn football <laughs> And this was just kind of further proof of it. I don't know, like it, 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 it. And I know there was an opportunity, and we talked about it in the in the preview to this, and 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 all leading up to this game. Dan, we talked about like this was an opportunity to build some good momentum, good feelings, good vibes. In the grand scheme of things, the win or the loss wasn't going to matter a ton for the direction of the program, but it was an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I do think, though, as I wrote in the observations, it was what I called a frustratingly fitting finale for Auburn fans because, you know, th- this one felt like several other games in the twenty twenty three season. So I think it was more representative of what we saw as a season. We talk about ball games being disconnected from the regular season. This one felt pretty connected to Auburn's regular season, and and that's that's a bad thing uh, when you look at the scoreboard. Yeah,
1: it's it's frustrating, and I think it's it's a deflating. Loss because it didn't look like, especially when you think that part of the argument for optimism is because Auburn brings back players at key mm-hmm. positions. Yeah, I think it's a deflating loss because it didn't look like even those players you know who figure to come back at key positions for Auburn, like it didn't look like it was an offense uh, on the verge of of anything special. And it didn't look like a, a front seven that was necessarily ready for prime time in its, in its current form. And that's, yeah. you know, that's a, you don't want to overreact to a bowl loss. Because I think it's, especially in this day and age, it's, it's relatively easy for a team to get flattened in a bowl game and turn around 10 months later and look like a top team in college football. Like, I won't think- be surprised. I won't be surprised if Florida State is a top team in college football next year, and they just got I, beaten as badly as anybody has ever been beaten in a bowl yeah, game. Yeah,
0: that, that, was, that, was, that was awful. That right. was awful. And, and I appreciate Kirby Smart going out there and saying how bad it was for college football, and I think college football does have a real problem with that, but that's another discussion for another day.
1: Right, but but in the case of Auburn, uh, no, I I think that it's it's tough to find positives from that performance, especially among the guys that you looked at going into the game and said, well, right. of of the players, you know, understanding the you know with the caveat that this roster could look very different in some spots next mm-hmm. year th- th- than it did in the bowl game. The spots where you thought, okay, Auburn is probably going to run it back with a lot of playing time for these guys, like ev- even those guys weren't. Yeah, weren't all that impressive against uh, against Maryland. It's it's just it was like it was it's a mixture of LSU and New Mexico State, right? Yeah. Because yeah. because New that's Mexico New Mexico because, State, yep. Because New Mexico State was sort of a similar feeling of, you know, e- even with everything Auburn's been through the last couple of seasons, aren't they supposed to be better than these guys? Like there's, yeah
0: yeah. And that's the thing, Maryland. We talked about it. Maryland had more opt out. I think absences or at least bigger opt out absences than Auburn and it really didn't matter. Like they they looked like a team that was that was fine to, at handling that. Um and like look like again we'll talk about it the defense the second, third and fourth quarters were good and I thought you saw <laughs> some positives from guys who are going to be back next year, guys who were going to be you know stepping up. But yeah, it, on the offense, very little to, to go off of that you that you say that um you can like look at as bright spots. I mean maybe maybe like the fact that you got some some production out of Rivaldo Fairweather and Caleb Burton, which you think are gonna be two of your your top returning guys next season. That's about it. Auburn couldn't run the ball in this game. Um was not a good day for the offensive line. It had been an up and down season for that group They did not play well up front. Um, The protection, you know, and this all isn't on the offensive line, but the the protection wasn't great. Auburn had, like, really no interior running game. They never got Jarcos Hunter going, never got any of the other running backs going. Like, Peyton Thorne was not a factor at all in the running game. That was pretty big. But, I mean, Dan, it just ultimately goes back to what we have said and and what I wrote about last week. Like, in the games where Auburn threw the ball better than their opponent, they won, and in the games where Auburn – the ball worse than their opponent, they lost, and that held up in this game because once again, we are talking about an Auburn football game in 2023 where they play a team against play against a team that finished the regular season with a winning record. They're 0 and seven in those games, and in those games, hardly any passing uh, to to go off of in that one. Uh, especially when you look at Peyton Thorne, and that's the thing is just you know you don't want to like I hesitate. And I think some people are are, are going to you know say this and me like not wanting to criticize Peyton Thorn. I criticize you know I hesitate to go all in on it because there are a lot of pieces to the passing game that are not just the quarterback, but the quarterback is a monster part of it. It is a huge central detail. And the fact of the matter is is that this season, when Auburn played teams that were quality opponents um, on paper, they didn't get much of anything at all through the air with Peyton Thorn. Quarterbacking them, uh, and that's—I mean—that's really a tough sign because you you start wondering what I mean. What could they end up doing next year with that? He's gonna—he finishes the year outside of the top 100 nationally among qualified quarterbacks in yards per attempt against teams with a winning record. That's dead last in the SEC among qualified quarterbacks as well. I mean, this is towards the bottom, and, and Auburn had one of the worst passing games in the country this season, especially against quality opponents and that has to change and Hugh Freeze goes up to the podium after the game and says and and, and admits that hey what he had said about being all in on this quarterback room and and, and Peyton and and he's like we it's wide open we may have to reevaluate this and that's very telling uh, because I mean I think it's this was an opportunity for Auburn to come out and play a better football game through the air and it really did not happen until the fourth quarter with the third string guy, or the guy who's fourth string for most of the year. And I wondered—I mean, we we talked about not having
1: VAR and and half the receiver room that that had that adopted out of of this game. You know, we wondered if Auburn's passing attack w- would feel the effects of that. Uh, you know, v- versus some of the other, like, I like it's all it's almost more understandable that Auburn's passing game would struggle against Maryland. Because Auburn went into the game with, I mean, it was it was, is it five, five or six scholarship receivers? Two of them yeah. are guys who Hooks and Mardner aren't going to be on next year's team playing their last game in college football. What what bothered me was, and I, I, another similarity to the New Mexico State game, those were the two times where it felt like Auburn went in with the game plan of we'll be able to run the ball on first down. Mm-hmm. And it just it wasn't there at all, like that no. the the lack of and maybe you know it's an ecosystem and maybe just like New Mexico State, Maryland overplayed the run, feeling like okay, well if you if you force Auburn to to win, uh, you know if you force Auburn's if you put the onus on the receivers, right, and, and the downfield passing game, and sort of overplay everything else, m- maybe the percentages know tell you that that's how you should play uh, against uh, against this auburn offense right yeah. now but but auburn i mean the uh the yeah I, I i was surprised at how how thoroughly maryland kept the run game bottled up right like yeah. that was yeah and, and maybe and maybe that's where it all starts as far as trying to make plays downfield in the passing game in this offense you know you need to be able to 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 have you know, the first and ten, you know, go your way on the ground. It, mm-hmm. did, not, it did not go Auburn's way on the ground seemingly no. a, a single time mm-hmm. uh, when, when they tried it against Maryland until, until it was
0: 21 nothing. Right. They, Auburn finished the game three yards to carry on first down. And to like, to remind you what the definition of a successful play is on first down, statistically it's anything that gets you at least five yards on first and ten. And when you're averaging three, I mean, these those are just unsuccessful plays over and over and over again. Auburn could not – I mean, there was, there was no push. There was no juice. Maryland was overplaying Auburn's running game because they didn't feel like they had to respect the passing game. But we've seen at times this season Auburn be able to run the ball, even run the ball against some really good teams, <laughs> without – you know, having to have a, the the strong threat of a downfield pass, and in this game, I mean, just got just got whooped up front. I mean, Maryland was the more physical, more ready to play team, especially in the trenches, and it showed uh, in this one. So, I think it's a combination of execution and a combination. It's a combination of execution and strategy because it was just they did not have an answer at all uh, to try to get anything going on the offense end.
1: You talked about Hugh Freeze. <clears throat> Seeing the quarterback situation as more wide open, I wonder if every possible cure for what you saw against Maryland is on the table. We know it's, Auburn it's is got to be. It's got to be. We, we know Auburn is trying to inject more talent into the wide receiver room uh, with the high school players they've signed. I, I don't think we've talked about Sam Jackson on On the sh- on the show, maybe no. maybe you talked about him with with, with uh, Clemente. I, I forgot, but it was
0: no I mean, uh, that happened after that happened after that. Yeah, that's right. I but, think that happened. I think that happened after we recorded the other so, night.
1: So, so Aub- Auburn, you know, bringing in, uh, you know, they've you know bring bring in a couple of veteran wide receivers on top of the the freshmen that are coming in. Hey,
0: yeah, and Jackson being an interesting case as a guy who played quarterback in college, but was Peyton Thorne's like go to guy in high school at uh, wide receiver.
1: Right, and and I also wonder if I mean you talked about you know maybe they're maybe they're reevaluating whether or not a quarterback needs to join the uh, the the fray you know someone who's not on the team right now on top of maybe taking a second look at Holden or Hank Brown uh, I would wonder um, are they reevaluating whether or not they feel like they've got all the starters they need on the offensive line going into next year or if if this performance makes you think okay maybe a veteran or two. Uh, You know, somewhere on the offensive line needs to come in to uh, To, to
0: try to uh, help out. To your point, Dan, they have gone after guys on the offensive line in the transfer portal that would be starter quality right off the bat. They haven't been able to land any of them, uh, but they have gone after those dudes. So I think that is a sign that even before this game, they were thinking about going in that direction. Um, And, like, here's the thing also with the passing game. I hesitate to put it all on Thorne, and and I'm never going to because I think it's everybody involved with the offense, everybody involved with the passing game, for the coaches, and it starts with the coaches, uh, on down to the players uh, across the board. You did get the feeling, though, whenever they drop back to pass in this game, nobody was getting open. And your wide receiver talent should be better next year. Cam Coleman, Perry Thompson, Bryce Kane, Malcolm Simmons. You bring in Robert Lewis. You know what do you have in, in Sam Jackson, um, you know Caleb Burton coming back for another year. You still have Rivaldo Fairweather. Like you've got, you've got pieces, and you can see how this could get better. But we had talked about this not too long ago. I I think it's naive at best to think that everything in the passing game gets fixed by just adding freshman wide receivers to into the fold. Do I think the freshmen receive? Do I think these these guys that Auburn has brought in are very talented? Absolutely. Would I be stunned if Auburn looks a lot better on offense next season through the air with those guys out there? And not say they bring Thorne back. Say they don't change a ton outside of uh, outside of adding those receivers. Would I be completely shocked if they were better with it? No, but I do think that is a gamble because when you're this bad through the air. When you're talking about only a handful of teams in the FBS this year that were that were worse than Auburn at throwing the football, especially against quality competition, like you said Dan, like I think everything needs to be on the table and I think that goes from the coaching staff, I think that goes to the players themselves, like all the components. Everything's up for grabs. And the thing for Freeze, I was surprised during this month of December that Hugh Freeze was so forthcoming and transparent and honest about like, hey, this is what we're going to do. You know, cards on the table and he did that with the quarterback position. He did that with saying like, "Hey, we're going to have to run the ball in this game and Maryland shut him down with that." And now you have to you come in after the game and and say, "Hey, it's wide open. We've got to evaluate everything." Because even if you can look at all the positives on paper of bringing a guy back like Peyton Thorne, "Hey, transfers in the second in their second year, pretty valuable this year in college football. Hey, he's got a ton of experience. Hey, we know he's a good quarterback when things start when, when things are clicking for him." X, Y, and Z, you can write all those things down and, and look at them, point them, say it's good. But when the product on the field through the air was as rough as it was for Auburn, you've got you've got to consider everything, whether that is a new quarterback, anything, anything at this point. And I don't think it's just necessarily a case of hey, just get them, you know, better freshman receivers. As good as these dudes are, and, and say that's that's going to be the fix. That's going to be where everything is. And I think Freeze realizes that and knew that, and that's why he said what he did after the game to the question about, hey, does does this game change your opinion of what you had said weeks ago about the quarterback battle? You've got to constantly do that. you got to constantly evaluate because Free said it the best after the game. This football team, this 2023 Auburn football team, with its flaws, with its deficiencies, with its recruiting problems and its development and retention and all of that from the last couple of years – this team should have been better than six and seven. Everybody knows that. There are very notable examples of how they should have beaten beaten these teams. But this team should have been better with what they had. And like Free said after the game, that starts with him as a head coach. That's on him. Like you should have gotten more out of this roster. And so for twenty twenty four, you've got to you got to figure out those, those ways to do that because the recruiting and the off field wins are only going to take you so far. You've got it. You've got to you got to put a proof of concept out out there on the field. And he knows that.
1: And I don't even think when you say this team could have been better than six and seven, like yes, you look back on the Iron Bowl and you say yeah auburn was a a play away. Auburn was a you know statistically a a very favorable play away from winning that game. but I think it's more about well, you were a twenty point under you know, twenty point favorite uh twenty twenty something points to to New Mexico State at home and then this bowl you had game
0: a, you had a chance to beat an old miss team. Because Ole, remember, in the middle of that game, Ole Miss did not do anything on offense, and Auburn had time and time again had a chance to get back in that game, and couldn't. And that's a really good Ole Miss team. You you were in the game in the fourth quarter at home with Georgia. You did nothing on offense against Texas A and M, and and like had had that pretty competitive into the second half. Like, there's a lot of those examples.
1: Those felt like games to me, though, like the the games where. The the games against quality teams where it didn't break Auburn's way in the fourth quarter felt like games where the lack of depth caught up to Auburn. Sure, you know, as opposed to like I don't think lack of depth was necessarily the issue against New Mexico State, and I'm not sure it was the issue against or, you know it was the the key issue against Maryland. It was just you know it was it was I mean you, you're, you not down, you're not down you're not down twenty one nothing because of a lack of depth. Right. right, like that's
0: not you're down twenty one like nothing because you didn't play well.
1: Yeah, I, cause, I mean, and and that's yeah, I mean, a couple of games where just yeah, from from the from the beginning and and you're down twenty one nothing, and I think Hugh Freeze talked about this. You're down twenty one nothing because maybe the plan you had going into the game, in hindsight, wasn't the nope. you know was wasn't the most effective approach, and you know there was there was second guessing immediately after the New Mexico State game. You know, Mm -hmm. Hugh Freeze talked about whether or not they had the right idea to start the game with what they wanted to do on offense. And I think you got some of those same uh, both the uh, uh, the the in-game interview uh, he did with the ESPN sideline reporter to start the fourth quarter. And I'm sure the press conference uh, after the game sort of struck that like maybe maybe the plan itself can be evaluated uh, on top of, sure. uh, you know, looking at every position group and and deciding, you know, what needs to change going into next season.
0: And here's the thing, Freeze. This came up again after the game. This came up uh, when the conversation was about Maryland using the headsets and and the helmet communication and Auburn not. Freeze has used this and has pointed to. I mean, we go back to the beginning of the year as like, hey, we got to recruit. Recruiting is going to be the lifeblood of this turnaround and this rebuild. And you know that's what he is focusing his attention on. Um, he talked about that with the way the offense handled and all that. He said it again after this game. You know, emphasizing recruiting and and and, and yes, like for Auburn to be better in twenty twenty four five twenty five and beyond, they had to recruit. But in twenty twenty three, they fell well short of what they could have been and was below expectations in things that they could have been better at right and you have to figure out how to allocate your time and your resources you know but that's the other thing is that when freeze comes into a game after the game and says hey I feel like I uh, didn't do a good job with this team it's part of it right you know yes the recruiting is great having a number eight recruiting class is awesome and and getting off to an awesome start in the 2025 recruiting class is Exactly what Auburn needed, and that's why that's why the end of this season, this six and seven record in 2023 compared to the six and seven record in 2021, feels different because of because of the recruiting. You can see what okay Auburn's getting talent in, and that and and that is usually you know a good sign. But I think Texas A and M shows with, under Jimbo Fisher that you can have the best recruiting classes ever. Remember, a And M had one that was the best ever. That's not, that's not guaranteeing you anything in the SEC. And you talk about coaching, and you talk about a culture, and you talk about all the things that have to do other than just acquiring talent. Auburn has to get better at, and that starts with the head coach. And that's the big thing. Like this offseason is going to be pretty, pretty big for Auburn in figuring out what that has to be. Because recruiting is great, but you can't, you can't just sell out all to recruiting. And have other areas suffer because that we have literal proof in this conference how that does not work. You've got to you, coaching, coaching, and and culture go a very long way. And right now, it doesn't. From the sounds of what happened in the post game, especially with a lot of people, a lot of players talking about accountability and culture and standards and stuff like that, Auburn's got a long way to go in both of those areas. Not saying it's impossible, but. You got to You got to get the rest of the puzzle. It can't just all be talent acquisition, although it is a pretty big piece of that puzzle.
1: It feels like it's a mixed bag on defense too, because I know the the numbers at the end of the game, as you wrote, Justin. I mean, the the yardage and point totals, you know, for for, for four quarters, look really good. I think it was sort of shocking to see how much the defense struggled early, especially considering the opt outs with Maryland tackles,
0: miscommunications. Um, some of that you can say, hey, he had some new pieces out there. Some of it was just, just not good play. And that's the thing, like, you know, you allocate those 21 point, your 24 points out across four quarters and those yards a little more evenly. You sit there and say, that's a solid defensive performance. The fact that the defense was so bad so early, it put Auburn in a hole that they couldn't get. They just didn't have the offense to get out of it. And that's the thing about this team this year. When we've seen Auburn play well or have chances, it's been the defense carrying the offense. When the defense and the off—I mean, obviously the offense didn't have a pulse in the first quarter either. When the defense, you know, is part of the reason, is a big part of the reason why you're in that hole. It is just—it's going to be impossible for you to come back. The missed tackling, the the miscommunications. Uh, that's where, and they had their opportunities, man. Like seven hundred people tried to land on that fumble in the in the in the first quarter. Um, they nearly had a couple other turnovers uh, in this game. There were some missed calls where. Felt like guys were getting held on big plays or hands to the face ball, on a couple of them. Ball goes off of Colton Hood's hand. Right, right to the gets, dude. Great yeah. play by Colton Hood. Goes right to it. You know, Maryland ends up kicking a field goal out of that one. You had your opportunities there uh, for sure. So I, it, it wasn't all bad. The offense, I mean, very little to talk about positively. And we'll, we'll get to, obviously, the, the 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 one everybody wants to talk about with Hank Brown, but – Defensively, it's like I saw some of the young guys make some good plays. Bobby James and Travis making making some plays up front. That defense showed an ability to adjust and be resilient. And Ron Roberts talked about this on Friday in a press conference. He said there was going to have to be a feeling out process in the first early on with a new quarterback, and Billy Edwards played pretty well. Um, The problem was is that during that feeling out process, Auburn made their own mistakes, and those mistakes turned into points on the board. And they're gonna have to tighten up. They're gonna have. They're going to have to, to to get better in those areas. I don't think the defense though should get a ton of criticism from this game. It is a. It is a. It was a really really bad start for sure. I feel like though, if you look at the end game totals and you feel like they're kind of a little bit more balanced out, you say, "Hey, a team with a competent offense should have made this a competitive game," but they didn't. And and you got to also say like Auburn did hand. Maryland to touchdown with with that with that pick six from Peyton Thorn, um, but uh, you saw some of the young guys play well. You saw, saw some of the new guys play well. You've got several players on that back end, or especially at linebacker and in in the, um, you know, you got Keontae Scott moving over to corner. That's going to be an adjustment process for him, I'm sure, um, moving back out there from from having to play nickel so much. You've got some. You've got you've got more things to build off of on defense than you do on mm-hmm. offense. I think that's fair to say.
1: Yeah, and if if you're looking for, I mean, you can you can maybe point to the secondary, right? As as some uh, you know where there were younger players who figure to be, uh, you know, part of part of the, the picture next year, uh, who got e- either their their first taste of a lot of playing time, or they you know at least got some playing time. Zaycevius like Walker gets a sack. Uh, late in the game, uh, w- which is yeah, you know, th- this is I regret that Painter isn't here because I feel like Painter would have gotten us to start overreacting about Hank Brown earlier in the uh, in in the episode. <laughs> by the way, but that's, by the way, I want to point
0: something out. I-, I didn't realize this until just now. Yeah, Billy Edwards, the Maryland quarterback, he threw incompletions on his final ten attempts. Like Auburn's secondary did adjust to do what? Uh, now did Maryland take their foot off the gas and 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 go a little more vanilla? Sure, but. I didn't think that defense out there but okay, let's get to Hank Brown then. Let's get to Hank Brown because Auburn so Thorne throws an interception that gets wiped out on a rough in the passer and he was just getting he was getting lit up. There were some hits he took in this game even trying to run run the ball where he was getting he was getting popped pretty hard. Auburn goes with Holden Garner. Garner makes a good throw to Micah Riley uh to move the chains, the rest were incompletions. And then Fourth quarter, Auburn gets on the field. Hey, it's Hank Brown. Hank Brown, a kid that, you know, three-star signee in the 2023 class for Auburn, Nashville kid, getting to play in his hometown. This game's over. Roll him out there for his college debut in front of, you know, in front of of his family and and let him rock. And he zips a ball immediately for a first down and then – uh, I think it was Cantor Brown, and then launches a deep shot to Caleb Burton to set up a touchdown. And Then on the next drive, he completes five or six straight passes, moves the chain some more, has a couple incompletions towards the end, and, and it's a turnover on downs. But, Dan, this is, this is the stat I thought was just absolutely mind-blowing. Hank Brown had 132 passing yards. On those two drives against Maryland, and yeah, Maryland's probably rotating their 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 reserves in. I think they were probably already doing that in the third quarter as well. He goes seven and nine for 132 yards passing. Um, you know, in this matchup, Auburn's Auburn's best before <laughs> before this game. Auburn's best performance through the air in a game <coughs> in a game where they played a team that had a winning record this season, an FBS team with a winning record. Was 154 yards in four quarters. So you're talking about Hank Brown coming in and like almost matching Auburn's best performance through the air against a quality opponent in two drives, in just two drives. The sample size, I, I'm not going to sit here and act like I know who all was on the field for Maryland and like what their quality was and, and all that. I do know that Hank Brown was completing passes to dudes that didn't get, like, were not factors at all until that those last couple of drives. Guys making some catches. He looked good. He was very, the ball jumped out of his hands. You could see the arm talent. And I think the big thing here, Dan, with Hank Brown is he just spent this entire year on scout team. This is something Freeze talked about after the game. He spent his entire entire year on scout team, like, having to play under crazy pressure with zero protection, in practices, and so he gets out there and he's under fire and he's he's zipping the ball around because he's just used to that. And that's some pretty good poise for a true freshman. Again, you don't want to go overboard with it because the situation is a situation. It is garbage time at that point. But two of Auburn's three best drives of the entire game came with Hank Brown cold for the first time in his career just just zipping the thing around. And it's just something to think about, at least.
1: Yeah, and, and I think I mean earlier in the season, we uh, uh, you know we, we had we had forgotten like there, I think there was a time we were talking about the quarterback. I running. literally
0: I literally for, I had literally forgotten to mention him in a rundown. and I felt really bad about it.
1: Yeah, and, and so I think it's really cool to see a guy not just get to play in his hometown, but but make a couple of plays. D- does it mean that he is a short term or long term threat? To play at quarterback like I don't know um but but in this game it, it Auburn I don't know if Auburn had 65 yards of passing offense in the first three quarters and Hank Brown comes in and does it in two plays right with the with, with his with his first two passes so I think
0: it's yeah uh it's it was uh, a at the very least it's Thorne a foreign cool... finished thorn finished with 84 so that's yeah and yeah
1: at the very least, it's a cool Rudy esque story, uh, you know that that guy gets to tell for the rest of his life, and maybe it's more than that. Like, may, maybe he's got we'll- a real
0: shot to be more than that. I think um, he looked good. He, he looked really good. And again, you don't want to go overboard with it because the context is the context. Um, but he did look good. And you know, when Freeze said the quarterback position was wide open, that was in reference to a question about like, hey. Does what Hank Brown did out there make you reevaluate things? Yeah. I mean it's it's part of it. I think Holden Garner is as well. Um, you know, Holton has not had the he has not had a performance like that off the bench that Brown did, but um I mean, I, I guess that's the that's the million dollar question here, like literally for Auburn. Um you look at you look at the situation at the uh, quarterback in 2024 for Auburn, and Dan, I think we're both in agreement that one of the things that I think hurt Auburn this season, this is not the biggest excuse, and, and, and I don't read it like an excuse, but I think one of the biggest problems Auburn had this year with the passing game is that Peyton Thorne was a late arrival. And so I think the best case scenario for Auburn is you want the guy who's going to be your starting quarterback in 2024 to be there during spring ball, right? If that is going to be someone who is currently not on the roster, you have to make that move here pretty quickly. Um, there are some, still some good transfer quarterbacks left on the table right now in college football. I, again, I'm going to say this dude's name and everybody's going to think I'm linking him to Auburn. I'm not, but I'm just, I have no idea what's, what Cam Ward's doing. Like everybody and their brother's been connected to him and, and he hasn't, he hasn't made a decision yet. Um, that's neither here nor there. Like, but like, there is some talent still out there. As I guess that's what I'm saying. If Auburn wants to go that direction, if that is like the open reevaluation, or is it somebody already on the roster? Because when Hugh Freeze talked about you know being all in with his guys, his quarterback position, his quarterback room, a lot of it was about Peyton Thorn. But he had also mentioned Holden Garner, Hank Brown, Walker White, true freshman. You got to keep in mind he'll be he'll be around here in, in spring ball as well. So I think for Auburn is you absolutely have to tr- like if Auburn's quarterback room stays pat, they don't go get another transfer, they don't get a transfer quarterback mm. uh and they stay in with the guys that they have, you do have to go into spring ball l- with open eyes and saying, Hey, you gotta have best man best man win. Um Thorne has the experience factor here, but we have seen what a year looks like with that. You know, with that. Not all of those Super talented wide receivers that armor bring in not all of them are going to be there for spring ball, so like that's got to be something you got to keep in mind as well um, when you're evaluating the the quarterback room and the position moving forward but like Hank Brown Hank Brown should at least give you pause to say like, hey consider consider all the options, even the ones you know that aren't necessarily you know transfers. And then, of course, you're, you, like I said, you're bringing in Walker White. You still have Holden Garner as well.
1: And, and I guess the bad news would, would be that Auburn could still lose players who participated in the bowl game to the NFL draft or the transfer portal, uh, which, which is still open, right? So you think about, uh, I mean, I guess players with eligibility remaining who played in the bowl game who may not be back. I mean, I guess there's the Justin Rogers question. Right, sure. because he's accepted the invitation. I, I, I would, I would guess that the bowl game was the last time you'll see Justin Rogers uh, in in college football. would be my Would be my guess. Uh, I guess we're, we're waiting to see what Dylan Wade uh, decides to do. We're waiting to see what Jarquez Hunter uh, decides to do. Although, like again, these are guys who th- did not have the most compelling bowl game for you know for springboarding. Uh, to the NFL, but, you know, options are available to every college football player, and and I still think as much focus as the lack of uh, explosive passing uh, against Maryland uh, Mm -hmm. gets, and,
0: and, and that should be an important thing. You know, Hugh Freeze... It's the, thing that, it's the bad. thing that's held Auburn back for years now. That's that's that separates the contenders from the pretenders in college football more often than not.
1: Sure. And and Hugh Freeze seemed stunned that Auburn wasn't able to run the ball better though, right? Like that's something yeah. and, and I you wonder if you I wonder assume. if that's a yeah, you wonder if that's a personnel
0: thing, uh or, or how much of that was, was I mean, they ran the ball super well against Georgia. They ran the ball super well against some really good teams this year. It's not that they were incapable. It's just, They did not do what they needed to do in this game. And I think that's, a, again, that's on the coaches and the players alike. I, I'll, I'll say this also. Dan, a big theme after the game was Hugh Freeze. It started with Hugh Freeze, and it continued into several players talking about it, some of them very pointed comments after the game. Um, I put these at the end of the observations on, on, on Saturday night, so you can go back and read, read some of them, but I, I did want to mention one of them. Free said in his opening statement, here's the quote, I think our staff and our young men, starting with our staff, starting with me, have to have got to create the standard of the way we consistently work, consistently compete, and figure out how to be a true team. There was a lot of culture talk after the game. One of the big comments was from Peyton Thorne, and I'll read Thorne's co- quote here. He said, I completely agree with Coach. We did not have enough of that this year by any means, and it showed. It's going to be one of my main focuses when we get back is just getting guys together, the guys who need to be there, and just sitting down. If it takes five hours, it takes five hours, but we need to sit down and say, what do we need to be and what do we want our future to look like? You can start, and then you can work your way back if you need to. But we have to decide what we want and when we want and when we decide what we want, we're going to write it down and we're going to have a template to hold each other accountable to, to say this is acceptable and this is not. That will be something that ha- is happening soon. We're going to do that, and it's going to help us a lot. Really excited to get together with those guys because I know we have a lot of guys that want that. That's how it's going to be. I, pro- I can promise you that. Defensive players talked about that. Um, I, th- I saw a quote going around about Rivaldo Fairweather talking about um, – I wasn't over there for that one in particular, so I don't have the. I don't have the – direct quote there, um, but they were talking about, you know, loose leashes and, and, you know, teams that need to really lock in and culture and player fo- player-led player culture. Freeze talked to that out a ton. That's the thing, too, also. It's like I think when you have a season as disappointing as this was for Auburn and when you underachieve, like you, you felt like you did. And, again, they still made a bowl game and they made progress off the field. Uh, you know, that's another thing that like it might not all just be what we see on the field on Saturdays that needs to get better and change and improve for Auburn. It, it might not just be that, um, and it's going to be a big off season for 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 those guys. And you know, when you go into a lot when you go into a post game after you get beat so thoroughly on the field, and you talk about the stuff happening off the field. And in the locker room and whatnot that have that that didn't work for you this year, I think that's pretty telling. And those are some those are going to be some tough conversations, and that's going to be part of some of the changes. One more thing before we move on to basketball. Um, it's not been made official yet by Auburn, but it's pretty much going to happen, um, as, as reported on Saturday. Charles Kelly is joining the Auburn staff. Dan, I feel like Charles Kelly has been linked to, the, to, to an Auburn job for, what, the better part of a decade or more? Um, just because every time there's an opening or potentially an opening, people say, hey, Charles Kelly, that'd be a great, a great hire. Former Auburn player, obviously a guy that spent uh, a lot of time in the SEC and elsewhere, Alabama, had great stints at Alabama, Florida State. He was most recently Deion Sanders' co- uh, defense coordinator at Colorado. It was a huge move when he made that move. Obviously, Colorado's hitting the reset button already with Dion, uh and changing a lot of stuff. Um, the word is that he is going to come on as a co-defensive coordinator and a position coach for this team. He has been a safeties coach for the better part of the last decade. Got to keep in mind, Wesley McGriff uh, was moved to an off-field role, uh, and Auburn has had that kind of opening uh, potentially with him uh, moving moving to that spot, uh, and Zach Etheridge could be you know, you have Zach Etheridge already as, as a secondary coach. We're bringing in Charles Kelly, I, I, I would be surprised if that's the only staff change Auburn makes. I'm sure there's going to be more player changes, personnel changes. Uh, but, Dan, Charles Kelly, that is a, that's a pretty big name when you, talk about, when you talk about wanting to get some momentum and something that can, can help you moving forward. One of the best recruiters in college yeah. football and a guy that, that knows this league and knows you know, high-caliber high defense pretty well. Yeah,
1: I don't think people thought it would take 30 years for Charles Kelly to to come back uh to Auburn after his stint uh, in in the early 90s but but here we are and, and Charles Kelly uh, com- coming back as the yeah co-defensive coordinator I I guess the other thing to wonder about would be Tanner burns and you know Tanner burns got a, a, a temporary uh, elevation from, sure. from 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 the I, I, was he was he an analyst or was he a? He, he was, was an the, analyst
0: that was basically their special teams coordinator.
1: Right. So so I and, and that's and Charles Kelly has been a special teams coach before as well. I don't know if that's the job that he's he's coming to to Auburn uh, to you know. I don't know if that's going to be part of his role yeah. uh, with 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 his new title at all. But I mean, this is someone with a you know with a proven track record uh of of recruiting uh, big time players in the southeast and he did it at florida state he did it at tennessee did it at alabama and auburn's hoping
0: he can do it here nine five stars and 21 top 100 players uh have been personally recruited by charles kelly uh, he was the nation's best recruiter last year according to 247 um if in the last few years, if there's been a big-name dude that went to Alabama Charles Ke- on defense, Charles Kelly was a part of it. Isaiah Bond, also a wide receiver that everybody will remember for the for the ending of the Iron Bowl, was also recruited by Kelly. This dude knows it to bring in talent. He knows Auburn. Um, he's going to be a guy that I think is, is a big shot in the arm for this coaching staff. And Free said on Friday it was very interesting to hear him say this when they were talking about staff continuity, and he was like, hey, look, you know, not all coaching like i'm sure the coaching carousel is going to start spinning again here pretty soon like i said i'll be surprised if this is the only move auburn makes if there's the only changes i think i think there could be some coming and going i think that could still continue with the with the roster as well auburn's got to have some change and 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 you know i don't i think freeze I think Freeze trust his plan and trust his process for sure. But he was he was very transparent in the last couple of days about just saying like, "Hey, you never get it all right at the very beginning, and you got to reevaluate and constantly look at what needs to get better and what needs to change." And again, when you go six and seven, and you could have been a lot better. I mean, I think that's part of it. And Dan, I think the final final word here on on football before we move on to basketball is this: like, yes, recruiting is awesome. It is great to to recruit at a high level, and you need that to survive in college football. And, yes, Auburn's – the Hugh Freeze era was not going to be defined on what they did in the win-loss column in 2023. However, Auburn underachieved, and they could have been a lot better. And it can't all just be, well, we were recruiting and, and, and focus it all in on that. There's got to be proof of concept. There's got to be some on-field wins to go along with what you're doing well off the field. And – so things got to change, and this off season's gonna be a long one and a tough one for Auburn, I think, because they're gonna have to sit there and think about what they could have done better. And it's got to be used as fuel and motivation for 2024. If it stays the same, if things don't change, if they try to run it back, it's hard for me to see the this team, this team, you know, really struggle. Really, I say it's hard for me to see this team take the steps towards contending that they need to that they need to make, and that's. That's the bottom line. There's got to be changes.
1: Hugh Freeze was hired, I think, largely because of his reputation as a recruiter. Uh, but he Correct. also had, but he also had, uh, you know, some, some impressive, you know, the wins as a developer too. Right when you think about guys that he was able to either guys who weren't super highly recruited that Hugh Freeze saw something in uh, that he, that he brought in and got the best out of, or uh you know guys that uh yeah Hugh Fries was was able to you know they they were able to improve beyond their projected ceiling uh while playing for Hugh Fries and so yeah i think there's still the question of what can Hugh Fries do with uh the roster he inherited and a lot of the guys that he signed in his first year as Auburn's head coach yes there's there's going to need to be you know there there's going to be a constant focus on on bringing uh, the best players possible into the program, uh, but everyone is trying to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's also about it, it's also about you know get, getting the best out of the guys that you do sign. And so yeah, I think there's uh, no, I'm I'm interested in the storylines of of this off season and you know who 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 stays, who leaves, and uh, who sort of comes out of nowhere and makes a push uh, for playing time at, at different spots on the field.
0: It's gonna be fascinating to watch. It's gonna be fascinating to watch because I think Auburn can go in a billion different directions, and uh, that could that could change a lot of how they look on the field in twenty twenty four. So we will be there every step of the way, though. So football season in the books, uh, but obviously the off season's just getting cranked up, and we will have plenty of coverage with the roster tracker, all the staff moves, all everything else as we get closer and closer to. Um, yeah you know, spring practices winter workouts will start here coming up auburn has got a auburn has got a lot of work to do uh, but you knew that already good work quality work in, in on the recruiting trail now it's like can you do all that and everything else because it all can't just be on the recruiting and the off field wins but you know that's a big piece of the puzzle like i said <laughs> like i I don't want to I don't want to minimize the recruiting wins stuff like that was that was a top priority, um, but now it's like, can everything else kind of come into focus as well? All right, Dan, we'll talk some basketball here before we go. Before we do that, let's take care of some business. Hello, everyone. If you like this podcast and you would like some more of it, uh, you can subscribe to the Auburn Observer. If you subscribe on December 31st, if you're listening to this on Sunday, you still have a chance to go for $5 a month or $50 a year. That runs out um, at, you know, at the end of the year. Uh, if not, it's $6 a month or $60 a year. You can also get a trial, gift subscriptions, all that good stuff. Go to auburnobserver.com. You get twice as much of this podcast, so you get this free episode and the premium episodes later in the week uh, that we ju- do just for our subscribers. You also get access to all of the newsletters in their totality, uh, so Auburn football and men's basketball coverage in your inbox. We email you as soon as a, as a podcast drops or as soon as a newsletter drops so you can read and listen on your own time. So go to the Observer. This is also the part of the show where Painter would tell you to rate, review, and subscribe to us. Uh, It helps us out a ton. Wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, give us five stars, subscribe, say something nice to us. All the magic of the algorithms, it helps us out a ton. We really appreciate that. And it's also part of the program where we talk to you about Home Field Apparel. Homefieldapparel.com, the number one place to buy T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, um, quarter zips, joggers, hats, bomber jackets, everything uh, that you would want to clothe your body uh, with the very best vintage logos from your favorite college teams like Auburn and others. You can also get the official Auburn Observer T-shirt. I saw several Auburn Observer T-shirts in Nashville, which is really cool to see, especially when you're just walking by. Um, that's awesome. I really appreciate that. It's super, super cool. You can get 15% off your first order from Home field. If you use the promo code Observer two three at checkout, you got some money after the holidays. You know you want to you want to take advantage of the fact that the 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 shipping has started to, to calm down. Homefield dot com. Check it out. All right, Dan. Let's talk Auburn basketball. Can I can I say
1: br- briefly on the home on the home field thing? I sure. Was in the, uh, I was in the Phoenix airport and I saw someone wearing. I thought it was a home field shirt. It was not. Oh, no. uh, but but there is. There, maybe we've talked about this before, uh, but New Mexico State has the Chili Pepper Institute. It's like the one if you if you want to study like chili pepper agriculture, it's the one place in America you can go. Homefield's got to get some <laughs> chili yeah. pepper. They got to get some Chili Pepper Institute merch out there too, because that yeah. this was I guess this was someone rocking like we've talked about the Raptor Center mm-hmm. at Auburn, which I which I feel is also. For merch purposes, they don't probably. have New
0: Mexico or New Mexico State yet. I think I yeah, uh, we need to get. I'm gonna I'll, I'll place a call into Connor.
1: Yeah, because there's because there's some uh, there's some Chili Pepper Institute merch out there. I guess I guess from the Cause University.
0: D- yeah, because Homefield's done like like dairy farm and creamery and forestry and stuff like that. And I, I feel like yeah, you could definitely do that. So shout out to the shout out to the Chili Pepper Institute. All right, let's talk some basketball. As as rough as Saturday was for Auburn football fans, Auburn basketball fans, if you stayed up late for that one, you got to go to that game. You were in for a treat because this was a comprehensive blowout for Auburn against a Chattanooga team that's not bad. That's a team that's going to fight for for an NCAA tournament berth out of the uh, you know out of the Southern Conference this year. Um, Auburn wins by thirty five. Dan, we talked about it. They played the Alabama State game and didn't look great you know started slow finished sloppy had a lot had more turnovers than assists, and really got out of whack and yeah they won by 20 but they should have won by a lot more it was just a weird game this one after an eight-day layoff they came in and took care of business and then some and i think that just shows a lot about this team that you know the 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 win over Alabama State wasn't a bad game by any means, but it was a so-so game. It was a weird game. And then they, you know, even after an extra layoff, they looked really locked in early. Uh, Auburn was up by 21, like, middle of the first half. And it's that pat- it's that pat- patented run, Dan, that, that, that middle of the first half where Auburn just says, well, we're deeper and better and faster than you, so deal with it. And this was with the added
1: twist that uh, Auburn – jumped out to a twelve nothing lead, right? So you didn't have in some of these other games you had a really close first ten minutes, first twelve minutes yeah. before Auburn started that run. In this game the mocks were you know, they they were behind pretty early, and I don't know if they once Auburn pushed it to twenty five seven or so, you know, you, you never felt like the, the lead was in jeopardy. They only uh, got and,
0: they only got within twenty like twice the rest of the way. It was it was rough. And, and since since the App
1: State game, and and it's you know looking back on our recap of the the win the, the loss to App State, uh, in the last minute of that game, there was a possession where Auburn needed to have a basket, and they they went high low with, uh, with 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 Jalen, mm-hmm. and he and he scored, and his play since that, and and that's and I thought that was a really cool play because he specifically had been somebody accused in the past. Of not wanting the ball, kind of disappearing
0: in some big games. Yeah,
1: yeah, and well, not just in big games, but in important possessions Mm -hmm. at the end of games, right? Like it's you know he was somebody when people would wonder why is Wendell Green taking all the shots at the end of close games. You know, people would point to you know Jalen's not getting open or Jalen's not wanting the ball or or all this stuff. And yeah, I didn't know how fair it was then. Correct. at, At least now, like this month, you're seeing a guy who. Wants the ball late in close games and is is just not missing shots when he's. I mean, he's he's playing the best. It's the best month of his career, seemingly by, by the by the numbers.
0: Easily, he came into this month with four career twenty point games. He got three more of them this this uh, this month of December. I mean, what a phenomenal stretch here for Jalen Williams. Um, you know, and in case you didn't watch this game and don't know what we don't know what we're talking about. In this matchup, Jalen Williams scores uh, 21 points on a perfect nine of nine from the field. He was seven of seven on twos, two of two on threes, and he had an am one, uh, you know, free throw. Played well all the way around. But Dan, he is now <laughs> dating back. Uh, he, he is now da- dating back to uh, to the Indiana game. He has hit. Um, 27 of his last 35 two-point field goals and he's hit 16 straight back-to-back games now he missed his last two-point field goal it was only missed two-point field goal against USC and now it's now he's gotten 16 in a row at this point
1: point. and I think as we started recording this episode Justin Auburn posted something to uh to Instagram where they used one of your tweets. Yes, they put and, it on uh, Twitter too. Yeah, they they used they used an infographic or a, they used a they, they made they made a little uh, a little graphic there with uh, uh with, with all of the makes uh, in in two point range for for Jalen Williams and, over the last and couple and of games. Yeah.
0: And here's the thing about Jalen, and here's the thing about Jaylen, it's not all just shots at the rim. Like he's hitting those baby hooks and those mid range floaters. With a ton of accuracy right now. Now it's a lot of dunks and it's a lot of layups. And in this game, Janai Broom and Dylan Carwell both played really well. But like, here's the thing: you come into a game, you come into a game, and Chattanooga had only had, had nobody on their team taller than six nine. Only a couple of guys taller than six five. This is a matchup where the big men are licking their chops and say, "Hey, we got this." And this was a thrashing. Auburn doubled up Chattanooga in rebounds, 46-23. to It's only the fifth time since 2010 that they've had a margin that big on the boards. Um, the points in the paint, I believe, was 52-20 to <laughs> in this one. Ch- Chattanooga missed
1: 40 shots and had seven offensive rebounds. Yeah, like, I mean, I mean, it was it was a I mean, and that's and rebounding margin has not always been a, a stat where Bruce Pearls, even his best teams. Sure. Right. Like that. That wasn't something where no. they where they were in control.
0: This is uh, a better like, rebounding team than they have been the last couple of years for sure. Right.
1: And that's and coupled with the way this team guards, especially like at their best, like when mm-hmm. they're when when you're struggling to shoot 35, 37 percent and you've got, you know, a a. You know, you're struggling to 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 grab offensive rebounds. Like that can be a frustrating night because you know it's a, it's a you know yeah. go, I mean it's a one you know one one shot and done, and you're not converting on those one shots. Like it's like that's that's not a recipe for success.
0: Chattanooga shoots the second most threes of any team in college basketball. Auburn ran them off the line as much as they could, blocked a ton of shots. Dylan Carwell had nine rebounds in like twelve minutes of this game. Um he played really well. Jani played really well. Hey, how about this? I wrote about it uh, on Sunday morning. Chaney Johnson? Chaney Johnson's hitting up hitting up now. Now, he's not a guy that I think is going to go crazy and put up like 20 points on, on you in a hurry, um, but he's doing some of everything really well. His early alley-oop dunk was one of the best ones we'll see all year, just him getting up as high as he, as he did. Played really well, and Spurs had three steals, just really active. That front court, like, look. Yes, Chattanooga is was not built, literally not built to handle Auburn's front court. But in a game like this, when you have that advantage, you hammer that advantage, and Auburn has done that time and time again. You've seen Jani do that. You're seeing Dylan do that with more regularity. Obviously Jalen's playing out of his gourd right now. Cheney Johnson's playing super well in these in these stretches. And like when you have a matchup like this and you have an advantage and you talk about improving your metrics, Improving things like Kempom, your net rating, your you know, uh, T rank, all that, all that fun stuff. When you want to improve your numbers and make the computers like you more, you look at that matchup and you say, "We're going to hammer it as mo- much as we can." Auburn scores 101 in this game. Their offensive rating was the fourth best since the start of the '98 season. That, that is called the Kempom era. This was this was some fantastic basketball, and like I don't want to even take anything away from the backcourt. Uh, our buddy Jerry Hennen on Twitter pointed this out last night, and I thought it was a great point. It felt like a quiet game for Auburn's point guards. Aiden was really trying to shoot, you know, really trying to find his shot, and I think he hit a couple, but he missed a decent a, a bit. Trey Donaldson didn't score a ton in this game, and you kind of come out of that game saying, "Yeah, Auburn's Auburn's point guards had quote unquote an off night." He's like in real. I think Jerry pointed out, like in real time, you felt like, "Yeah, they're not really doing much." Nine assists, zero turnovers from your point guards like like, even in the quiet games these dudes are playing so well at the point guard spot uh Chad Baker Mazzara had a great night shooting Katie Johnson hit knocked down both of his series I mean even the backcourt played super
1: well for Auburn only have nine turnovers in a game with that many possessions right you're talking about 100 plus points and I don't know some of the for for Auburn to was that was 22 the most minutes anyone played in that game, you had the 10-man rotation yeah. working in, uh, you know, it, it's – you you'd like your team to show, you know, the improvement or development or what, however you want to, to to view it. You'd like to be – you know, college basketball is about peaking at the right times, and one of the times is when you're making the jump from non-conference play uh, into league play. Auburn's going to open with Arkansas and AM, which is a – yeah, you know, it's, it's daunting, but formidable. conference plays. Yeah, conference play is going to be a knife fight this yeah. year, right? Like, there's, I mean, there's teams that maybe you didn't see. Come- South Carolina has a really impressive win loss. I mean, if South Carolina had held on, beaten Clemson, yeah, they're course. probably an undefeated team in the in the top twenty five right now. Ole Miss uh, will will most likely be uh, an, an undefeated team yeah. in the top twenty five when when league play starts, and now yeah. you've got. You know, you've you've got Auburn uh, in there as well, and I think people are, uh, you know, around the the conference, you know, it's I I think conversations about the top tier of the league depends on how big you think that tier is. Uh, But I would I would say based on the way they're playing in December, like Auburn's in that conversation.
0: Yeah, Ken Palm currently has three uh, teams in the top eight from the SEC. All of them projected at thirteen and five in their regular season. That's Alabama, Tennessee, and Auburn, Kentucky, right there behind them. And I'm not that far off either. Um, it's a really, really good team. Uh, team playing some great basketball right now. Auburn sharing the rock yet again in this game. Everybody contributing. Every I thought the defense was fantastic in this game. Chattanooga is a tricky team, and they hit th- they hit some threes, but they took a ton. And boy. I don't know. I don't know if you noticed this as much as I did, Dan. Like when, when Chattanooga missed, missed some of their shots, they they really missed it. Like like Auburn was really getting in their grills. It's a great game uh, all the way around. Back to your point about the SEC. Dane Bradshaw, you know, watching this game. I'm up here in Nashville watching this game on SEC Network last night. Dane Bradshaw, the color commentator. By the way, shout out to SEC Network. That's an eight o'clock tip that they had to move. They had Dave Neal and Dane Bradshaw in the building for that game. Something that ESPN didn't even do for the USC game. Good call there, and also it's always great to hear Dave Neal at any at any time, especially a late basketball game. But anyway, Dan Bradshaw made the point during the game that he was like, he felt like heading into conference play, there are twelve teams in the SEC that feel like they've got a shot at the NCAA tournament, like a realistic one. I think right now you can probably say Vanderbilt does not feel that way. I, maybe eleven or twelve, like like I. I I go back and forth. LSU, LSU and Missouri uh, don't have like, LSU and Missouri are both eight and five right now, and most of their losses are against really good teams. So, like with a good conference play, you could see them kind of get into the mix. Everybody else, though, like really strong records to this point in the year. When you're talking about like when you're talking about Arkansas and Texas A and M having the worst records right now of 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 the teams that feel like they have got a shot to make the tournament this year. I mean, Like you said, Dan, this is going to be a knife fight. And Auburn's got one more game. They play Penn coming up before uh, SEC play begins. But, I mean, you want to uh, – I think it's one of my favorite pearlisms um that he goes back to. He said, you want to be in position to be in position. And right now with the way they're playing, Auburn is in position to be in position uh, when SEC play begins because that's – if these guys, especially that front court, if they keep playing like this and the balance is like it is, and they and they they hit their shots from deep, they have a shot to contend just as much as anybody in this league. I will say before we go, I want to do something real quick here with uh, Penn. Let's look ahead to the Penn Quakers. Uh, Penn is eight and six this year. They've had an interesting schedule. Their best win this year is Villanova they won they, uh, they beat Villanova in the uh, in the big five earlier this year did lose to St. Joe's. How about this Dan? Penn has played f- in four g- overtime games already this year uh, which I gu- it's got to be a record uh, losing to Maryland Eastern Shore, Belmont LaSalle, but beating Ryder. Kentucky uh, a couple weeks ago, Kentucky really struggled with Penn for most of that game uh, before pulling away in the second half. Uh, Houston uh, blew out. Uh, uh, Houston might be the best team in the country. Uh, blew out Penn by 39 uh, Saturday night. This is a Penn team uh, that, right now, according to Ken Palm, kind of a kind of a contender potentially in the Ivy League. You look at their numbers. It's a team that's struggled with some turnovers. Struggled on the defensive end. Uh, but they can hit threes, man. 60th in the country in three-point percentage. They uh, they get long rebounds well. They do, they do a good job on the offensive glass. Um, kind of like Chattanooga, though, a lot on paper. Going to shoot a ton of threes, don't have a ton of height, hadn't been great on defense. Auburn's got to take advantage of this, uh, this matchup. I could see this game, if Auburn plays well, I could see this game going a lot like Chatt- the Chattanooga game. They're very similar teams on paper. And for Auburn... You hope that these teams continue to play well, uh, that you beat, and help out your net rankings. I'll tell you what helped. I don't know if you saw this, Dan. Did you happen to see what Notre Dame did on Saturday?
1: What – I I, uh, I did not say. I saw the Virginia Tech struggled, but what was the
0: – Yeah, so Notre Dame, uh, who is not, you know had not had a great start to the season at all um, and, and a very young team with some growing pains uh, that Auburn took care of in Brooklyn, they beat Virginia by 22 yeah. – uh, on on Saturday, that really helped Auburn's uh net numbers a good bit as well. So, I mean, for Auburn, it's like some of these teams may not look impressive right now, but you got to take them in the scope of a full season. And some of these, like you know, uh, maybe Alabama State, maybe Alabama A and M, maybe Southeastern Louisiana. Like a lot of these teams that they're playing in non-conference, even the paycheck games are like teams that are going to have a shot to make the tournament. And that just helps your resume out a ton yeah. uh, if they can get in the mix. And shout out Notre Dame. I don't think Notre Dame is going to have a particularly good year this year. But, I mean, if they show they are capable of beating Virginia by 22, they could make a little noise in the ACC this year.
1: Curious to see what App looks like in, uh, in conference play that's in the good, Sun that's Belt. That's a good
0: they've, basketball team.
1: App, App's got, uh, App comes to Troy uh, next weekend. Uh, they're playing at, at Trojan Arena. And I know they've got James Madison uh, in January as well. James Madison, one of, uh, I think the undefeated teams are Madison, Houston, and and uh, Ole Miss. I mm-hmm. think that's your, I think those are your yes, three undefeated teams. those are the three teams. undefeated and, teams left. And, uh, and I do, you know, getting back to Auburn and uh, and, and Penn, I, I do think that uh, the first 10, 15 minutes of that Houston-Penn game, like Houston was just really able to overwhelm Penn defensively. Like Penn Penn did not have an easy shot in in the you know the the first several possessions of that basketball game I don't think they shot uh very well for for the for, for the game itself so I think if auburn guards like like they've been able to guard in the month of December uh it could be really tough for Penn uh to to get any sort of uh, getting any sort of rhythm offensively and that's you know it's just it's not a recipe for success at Neville arena so yeah I think auburn should be able to Take care of business against Penn it's just a matter of uh, can Auburn keep up the uh the, the intensity and and the effort defensively because when they do that and the live ball turnovers uh start start happening like it's just a uh, you know you can see you can see this kind of scoring runs that that, that put a, a team in a a tough spot so yeah I think Auburn's got a um yeah i I think Auburn's got a, a shot to to I, mean, I, I would think Auburn is going to be a double digit favorite. Against uh, against Penn, we'll see what the what the line actually looks like.
0: Yeah, uh, looking at it right now, it, it seems Auburn was a 21 point favorite over Chattanooga. It looks like Ken Palm has them as a 21 point favorite over Penn. I this these two games are super similar on paper. It is kind of crazy when you talk about teams that a team that you know wants to hit a lot of threes, really good at shooting threes, and not very tall on the front court. Very similar in a lot of metrics. I think if you're Auburn, just hope you hope that you can run it back again with a similar result and, and have another very impressive win. Also, real quick, I mean, I don't know if we've talked about this yet. Dan, I, the AP poll doesn't matter a ton, and I say that as a guy who used to vote in the AP poll. So, you know, I can, I can be a little bit hypocritical here. This Auburn team's got to get, get ranked. I, I – if pollsters are just ignoring Auburn's numbers and their metrics and not ranking them and just looking at win-loss, uh, this – this has got to be it, right? you got to be open to the new year with a, yep. with, with, with a spot in the top 25. I know it doesn't matter as much as Nat, and I know the AP poll is just something to put on TV and have the little number next to your name, but come on. like this, Enough's enough at some point.
1: Uh, Creighton uh, lost this weekend. I could see Creighton falling out of the top 25. They'd already fallen out of the top 20. I would think that is the team most likely to fall out of the top 25, and Auburn was – 26 in both polls uh, this past week. So yeah, I'm thinking Auburn jumps into the top 25. Andy Burcham made a great point on the drive, which is that you know the only real reason this team isn't ranked in both polls is that they've got a loss to App State on their resume, which was a road game that very few major conference teams in college basketball are willing to play. They're not getting any credit for having played. At App State, uh, in in the polls, you know, maybe at the end of the season, in the computer rankings, they'll get credit for having played that game. Uh, but it's uh, it's something that has not been reflected in uh, in in the voting thus far, and that's unfortunate because you know, I thought it was a pretty cool thing for Auburn to go play a true road game against a Sun Belt team. I would hope more major conference teams are willing to schedule games like that in the future uh but but no it has not it, it has not been something that that Auburn gets credit for in in the f- from the voters thus far
0: all right that's going to do it for this podcast once again appreciate everyone listening appreciate everybody subscribing reading all that good stuff it was a great 2023 one of our one of our best years probably you know since our since our first year probably our best year yet at the observer in terms of bringing people in and having fun. I know the football results didn't always line up for sure, but you know, basketball's heating up, uh, once again, and we're going to be here every step of the way for Auburn football and men's basketball. And, uh, hope you continue to join us. Um, so thank you. Thank you. I hope everybody out there has a great, uh, new year and, uh, looking forward to seeing what 2024 provides for all of us. Uh, we will be back later this week, probably late in the week. Um, We'll see. I'm gonna. Uh, we'll see about the Penn and the Arkansas games. We'll we'll talk about the Penn game. We'll 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 look ahead to Arkansas as well. We'll talk football, obviously, as we always do. Uh, but that'll come out later in the week. Stay tuned for that. If you're a subscriber, I'll have more details on that later in the week. Uh, what the schedule looks like because we are now out of football. Um, the football routine for sure. That's it, Dan. This is usually where I tell Painter final thoughts. What do you What do you want to talk about?
1: Yeah, I did see May December since the uh, since the last episode. I liked I liked uh, May December. That's pretty good stuff. That's wild wild stuff. As it's a uh, wild movie, man. As, as Johnny Carson used to say, yeah, wi- wild stuff on on Netflix there with uh, with May December. Hey, Justin, it's the last episode of the year. Uh, mm. What's What's an album or a song or a band that you okay. listen to a lot in twenty twenty three?
0: That's a great question. So for those of you who follow me on Twitter. I didn't put this in the mailbag this year. I usually do. I try to come up with a list of my favorite albums of the year. I used to rank every album I listened to. This year, I tried to do that, and then I ended up just cutting it off uh, at 20. I had 20 albums and five EPs. You can find it somewhere. It's on my Instagram as well if you follow me there. Um, looking at my list and trying to think of like what... I-, I-, I talked about them earlier in the year. We've played them... We've played them in the outro a couple of times um, this year, but early in the year, one of my favorite albums of the year was by a band called Wednesday. And if you've never heard Wednesday, it is a, they're from Asheville, North Carolina. It's very, it's indie, but it's got a real Southern rock kind of twang to it. And Wednesday's, that was uh, Wednesday's uh, album. "Ratsaw God was my number two album of the year. My number five album of the year was Wednesday's guitarist, MJ Lenderman, who had a really good album a couple years ago uh, called Boat Songs that I really enjoyed. He had a, um, a live album called, uh, MJ Lenderman and the wind. Uh, that was my number five album this year. Both of those are really good. Um, it is very much like an indie rock band. If you kind of gave more of a Southern feel, uh, which I particularly enjoy. So, yeah, Wednesday, MJ Lenderman. If you haven't listened to any of them, we've played them a little bit. We'll play a little bit of it right now here as we go. But um, they were pro- I, they were on my radar heading into 2023 a little bit. But both of those, like, you know, that band and everybody who's involved with them really, really took off for me. Uh, and so that's, that's, that's what I'm shouting out. A little different because if those of you who follow my music taste know I like listening to, like, loud, chaotic, like, metalcore and hardcore music or sad girl music uh as well wednesday's different and that's why i'm going to shout out a little bit more i think more for the people and i know there's some folks who listen to the observer and and read it uh that are that are wednesday fans as well so shout out to all y'all dan do you do you have a pick i am interested in your pick because you usually just listen to older music like and, and i'm not saying that as a as a as a slide on you, by any means, I just know you. You listen to a ton of like Talking Heads and stuff. I don't.
1: Like that. I do well. No, I. I was in the top. Uh, I was in the top 0.1 percent of Talking Heads listeners on uh, YouTube Music uh, this year. My most. My most listened to song on YouTube Music this year was "Call Me" by Blondie, and uh, <laughs> and uh, my my most listened to artists were uh, were Talking Heads, Blondie. Daft Punk and Ace of Bass. so it's a uh,
0: yeah, it's wow. a it's an odd. At least you had Daft Punk. Oh, I mean, hey, Daft Punk's not even together anymore. So. It's not
1: no, and and they were and they were robots all along. And any, anyway, so it's uh, no, it's I, I I do. It was not a year where I listened to a lot of stuff that came out in 2023. Uh, yeah. I I listened, and you know what? Another band. I think we've talked about this. But, you know, we we talked about REM as a band. I'm mm-hmm. convinced if you were like. I think if you were if you were like 20 years older, I think you'd be obsessed. I think you would have been obsessed with REM.
0: I did have a little REM kick this year uh, upon your recommendation and others and I and I enjoyed it. It was it was it's good stuff.
1: I I never had like a serious Radiohead phase, um mm. but but I I've listened to Kid A and OK Computer and and you know there's uh Rainbows like those are great albums. Uh Kid A is is bra- that's a band that I feel like if you were like eight to ten years older, I, I think that Radiohead would be would be very seriously Probably, yeah. like up your alley. But that's a, that's an album. Kid A is an album I, I sort of rediscovered uh, lately, and uh, I swear everything's fine. Usually things aren't going well when you say you've been listening to a lot of uh, of Radiohead, but no, Kid A is uh, uh, kid, yeah, kid, kid A is a, just a it's still like it, it's a, a crazy achievement.